You know, back when I was a rock and roll musician, I always wanted to go on tour. It was kind of a, a dream many of us had, I'm sure, as rock musicians. And our, our band played a lot of gigs in New York City, a lot of clubs in New York, but never went on tour. I didn't go on tour until much later in life when I was a you know, well-established hypnotherapist and seminar leader in my own right. And I got a call from my old friend, John Morgan, who needed some help with his John Morgan seminars. He did these hypnosis seminars for weight loss and smoking cessation. He had this really interesting way of advertising using the radio from his former life as a radio DJ and uh, needed some help with it. So I went on tour. I went from city to city to city. I can honestly say I have over the seven years I worked for his company, hypnotized tens of thousands of people. It was an amazing experience and one I'm eternally grateful for. And I have as my guest today on this program, John Morgan. John Morgan is my guest in the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. He's an amazing guy with amazing stories and great insights and ideas. And uh, gosh, what the heck are we waiting for? Let's go talk to him. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Welcome, John Morgan. It's so nice to see your face again, my friend. How are you? It's always good to see Dougie, and I'm fine, and you look terrific, as usual. Don't call me Dougie. There's people listening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I would call you what I normally call you, sweetheart. uh... (laughs) Well, okay, then. I'll go with Dougie, then. But yeah, it's um, John Morgan. We've, We've known each other a long time. Yeah, it's over 30 years, 30-some. Over 30 years. Yeah, it's I just know, we there. in 88, if I'm not mistaken. 1988 at a Dave Dobson. Uh, it might have been 87, but probably 88. Yeah, I think your memory is probably better than mine. But yeah, Dave Dobson workshop out in Friday Harbor, Washington. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, I remember Doug because he had his parachute pants at that you time. You always say that. I don't think I owned any parachute pants, but yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe they looked that way. You were staying at hostels and I was uh, staying in a hostel. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I was still all I remember was there's something special about this kid. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Were were you there when we when I played piano at the bar? I was. And people sang and stood. Yeah, we did blues songs. Yeah, I taught you how to play the blues. That's right. Yeah. Well, you didn't teach me. I I you know, I can't play the skin flute, but I mean uh uh, I was enjoying the heck out of you, you know. <laughs> we were making up lyrics too. We were the- making up lyrics, yeah. The old, yeah. the old blues, uh, four bar blues, uh, uh-huh. sixteen bar blues, whatever, twelve bar blues. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was fun times. I actually have a picture of us. Um, I don't think you're actually in the pictures of why I asked if you were there, but you know, people sitting, yeah, sitting on the piano of me sitting by the piano. I I have one. Oh, cool. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. So Dave Dobson is, is certainly a place where we all got started, but more importantly, other than sitting around the piano, we both learned other than conscious communication and um, hypnosis, if you will, as Dave would call it, the phenomenon of hypnosis. Um, Dave was a pretty important guy in our lives, I would say. 
Yeah, no question about it. I mean, uh, there's not a day that goes by that I don't use something that I learned from Dave. Uh, you know, he was a curmudgeon. I mean, there was, yes, he was. no two ways about that. But uh, he was uh, he was a discovery machine. I mean, discovering, if you will, other than conscious communication and teaching it was like I was it was magic. I mean, uh, you know, I was steeped in traditional hypnosis at the time. And when I was exposed to him, it was like, you're kidding. You know, this stuff is phenomenal. You know, like just the um, pattern that he taught where you would tell somebody a joke. Uh, You would tell them, they would tell you their angst. Yeah, their their crappy story. Right. And then you would tell them back a joke in their patterns and then ask them to go back and try and get the feelings associated with their yuck. And they couldn't. And I went, how did you come up with this? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. And and yes, I have used that. I have taught that. And I always, of course, let people know that it comes from the late, great Dave Dobson. So how did you hear about him? Were you steeped in traditional hypnosis? How did you find out about Dave? All right. It was very interesting. Uh, Ties a little bit into your background. I was doing a radio talk show in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay, let me just stop you there. So for people who don't know, and I think that's most people listening, you you had a long history in radio. You started off as a rock DJ, didn't you, back in the 60s? Yeah, I was a a disc jockey, a talk show host, a manager, uh, you know, program director, all of that kind of stuff. Morgan in the morning. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Morgan in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah. And I worked in your hometown in Buffalo too. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, was it Danny Nevereth? Well, he worked at the other, at the competing station, Dan, but he was the big, big dog. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Dan Nevereth. Everybody remembers Dan from Buffalo. (laughs) But anyway, the, uh, uh, I was in radio and uh, Tony Robbins was just coming up at that point. And I think he had just put out his book. And, uh, so we got him as an interview uh, early on. In fact, I have a recording of that interview from back in the eighties. No way. Yeah, I do. And, uh, so anyway, at the end of the interview, he invited me to come down to his firewalk experience as his guest. In New York city. Yeah. So I went down, uh, we were at, uh, some high school in Harlem, uh, I think it was Harlem. It was, I believe it was the Upper West Side, but that's okay. Okay, Upper West Side. Because I was, I was kind of running this the show back. Then. Well, I remember <laughs> aside from the evening when there's Ola Tungis out in the park, yeah, yeah. in the schoolyard playing the drums. Bob, it was, and, was that was terribly cold that day too. There was like, let let me on the fire, my feet are freezing. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I went there, and then he invited. He said, "Stay for the weekend," and we had a. Uh, we had a common purpose, uh, purpose, uh, sorry, person that we knew, and that was Harvey Diamond, who wrote uh, oh, yeah. the book Fit for Life. Um, so we had that conversation. And then somewhere during the course of that weekend, he's talking about this guy named Dave Dobson, who's the world's best hypnotist. And I said, well, God, I got to know this guy, right? Mm. So as it turned out, after the seminar was over, the weekend was over, I went back home Maybe a week or so later, I got a card in the mail that said Eric Oliver, who is Dave's second, yep. Dave Dobson's second, 
what it's going to teach other than conscious communication in New York City at the home of uh, the guy who was the psychologist at Bellevue. I can't remember the guy's name, but his wife was hosting it. Uh, anyway, it was at their home. There were about seven or eight of us, and I went and sat with Eric and learned a little bit about Dave. And he said, well, maybe you ought to consider coming to one of Dave's workshops or fun shops. Fun shops, yeah. Yeah, and I said, okay, um, that, that that sounds good. I said, uh, when are they? He said, well, there's one in September, and there's this was summertime. There's one in September and one the following May. And I said, well, where are they? He says, oh, in, in the San Juan Islands. I said, oh, perfect. I said, I'm September. I said, I'm going on a cruise. I'm going to San Juan, and that's one of the ports of call. I'll just stop in and say hi, you know. He said, uh, no. Long San Juan. We are the San Juan Islands up in the, uh, you know, up in the, off the coast of Washington. I went, oh. So oh, I, went to, I went the following fall, uh, the May or fun show. Spring, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's how I got introduced to Dave. It was through Tony Robbins and. Uh, yeah. That's basically how I got, I didn't do the Eric Oliver workshop. I wasn't invited to that one, but um, I, I met Dave at Tony Robbins uh, at a certification course, I believe the previous year. And uh, yeah, my experience with Dave was, was similarly like, what? This guy is amazing. Cause you know, Tony Robbins was like this young, you know, pounding on his chest, everything lived with passion, uh, you know, full target and scale of zero to 10. You got to go at 11 kind of energy thing. Then Dave comes out on stage. He's kind of strolls casually out on stage. I could swear he was smoking a cigarette at the time, but I don't think he was. That's just my memory of it. And just like this, like Santa Claus looking guy, kind of fat and white beard and, you know, his hand on his hip kind of thing. And just, I could swear he had a cigarette, but he was, he started telling these, these stories in a kind of slow pace where there would be these pauses and um, <laughs> this weird laughter they did have and these crazy jokes he'd tell. And, and I was fascinated by him. I was shocked at first, but fascinated ultimately. And then, you know, I was also shocked at my, the 300 or so other people in the room who were all falling asleep to this guy. And I'm going like, what the heck is wrong with you people? These guys great. And, um, and I realized finally that he was kind of telling trance stories and hypnosis stories and people were not falling asleep, but they're going into trance. And I was thinking, okay, I need to, I need to learn this stuff. (laughs) How how does he do that? Right. Yeah. I mean, he was just a wizard. He really was. I mean, he was, uh, like I said, he was a curmudgeon, uh, but, I liked him, uh, you know, because you you knew Dave liked you if he took after you. In other words, if he came after you, uh, he uh, had some he kind must of, have liked me a lot then. Oh yeah, he would come after you that kind of stuff. <laughs> he uh, must have liked me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. No uh, yeah. yeah. So um, let's let's move on from there because after sure. we met Dave. You, you, when did you start creating the John Morgan seminars? When did you start going out, you know, leaving radio and going out into, uh, I did those in 1983. So it was in, in advance of that. I was doing them locally in New England. I was working for a gentleman named Barry Beter and he had associations with all the different hospitals and health stops. 
So we would do uh, the stop smoking at the Dana Farber Cancer Institute and, wow. you know, places like that. And uh, basically, I learned the seminar business from him. Uh, what happened was I was on vacation in New Jersey somewhere in the early 80s. And uh, I'm watching TV and I'm seeing this guy named James Hoke. And he's doing hypnosis for childbirth or, you know, um, on a local TV station out of Philadelphia. And I was fascinated by it. So I called the radio or the TV station after the interview and I said, who is this guy? They gave me his number. I called him out in Michigan and I said, I'm fascinated by what you were doing there. You know, I do a little bit of this on my own. Uh, what would you recommend? And he said, well, he said, my ex-business partner just moved back to Massachusetts. He's always looking for good people. So I found his ex-business partner. I went to him and I, I said, he said, well, he said, why don't you come to a couple of my seminars and see what I do? I did. And about the second seminar, I said, I can do that. He goes, well, I'm sure you're convinced, he said, but uh, I'm not sure that I am. And then I just followed him around like a puppy dog. Uh, and eventually one night he invited me up to do one of the, uh, you know, inductions, as we call them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, transitioning from conscious to, you know, other than conscious, if you will. And uh, he said, yeah, you really can do this. I said, yeah. So that is where it all began. And uh, from there, I did his seminars throughout New England and then uh, somewhere along the way, I went out and did them on my own. Cool. So I don't know what year it was, 19, 2000 something. <laughs> I don't know. When, oh, oh, us getting together? Yes, when you called me and said. That was 2004. Okay. Uh, it, actually, you went to work in 2005, but we met in New York City, 2004. We had uh, just procured the five biggest radio stations in America to run our commercials. And uh, so we were doing seminars, three in Manhattan, couple in Connecticut, few in New Jersey, a couple out on Long Island. And, uh, you know, it, that's when you came, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. yeah. to the ones in uh, Manhattan. Manhattan, at, yeah. At the, the one with the revolving... Uh, uh, restaurant at the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. Marriott. Yeah, that's it. So that was, yeah, that was 1985. We, we no. did this. Oh, you started doing them in 85, but this was. No, no, no. I'm saying the ones that we did in New York were 85. 2005. Oh, did I say 85? Yes. Yeah. Stuff getting old. <laughs> <laughs> 2005. Yeah. And, um, just so our radio listeners may, who may not know, you know, these, what we're talking about is um, John Morgan seminars became somewhere along the line, two seminars that you would do a, a six to eight o'clock seminar for smoking cessation. And then those folks would leave the seminar room and you'd get a whole nother crowd in there for a eight to 10 o'clock seminar for weight loss. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was, you know, we really needed additional help because we had a lot of seminars and, you know, obviously you being associated with the business, you know, there are not a lot of great people out there. Hmm. Uh, and we were looking for, you know, somebody to hand this off to. We didn't just want to hand it off to some Jamoke, uh, you know, somebody that knew what they were doing. And that's your name immediately popped into my mind. I said, 
to my partner. I said, this kid's great. I said, he, you know, I, hmm. I, 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 wait till you meet him. I know he fell in love with you. So. Well, you kept say, looking for my parachute pants. So I thought, you know, I don't know if he remembers me that clearly, actually. <laughs> but that was really great. And and it was a great gig for a long time. I really enjoyed that thing. Um, well, you know, the thing is, I mean, it's, as you know, um, not only is it being skilled, I mean, obviously you're skilled, but people like you, hmm. you know. I mean, they really do. I mean, it, it was evident, like when I was talking to my business partner, whom you know, uh, John Leslie, he said, people really like this guy. I said, yes, they do. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you already had a leg up on everybody uh, because, I don't know, it's sort of like everybody loves Chris, you know, Chris Rock or whatever, and everybody loves Doug. And, uh, you know, the fact that you took that and parlayed it on, laid your skills on top of it was you know, that was magic. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it was a, a privilege and an honor to, to work with the organization. And um, what I was really impressed by, and I, I'll, I'll tell you this, the, or, the, the, uh, the formatting of the seminars that you put together, because you used a lot of Dave's stuff. I mean, maybe you started them in 83 before Dave, but by the time I saw him, you know, you were using, you know, the beach trip basically was the oh, yeah. cent- central induction for Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, doing a lot of NLP things with the anchoring and the PSDS and um, things like that. Uh, <laughs> you it was, it was, yeah, I remember very well. And so, um, you know, it, it was amazing to, to watch you up there and, you know, have a, a volunteer from the audience and step on one side of her and, um, and get a response of one kind and then anchor that response and then step over the other side to have a spatial anchor for the other response. And yeah, I have a, on my YouTube channel, I have that. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I do. I have that uh, whole scenario where I did this one woman in the smoking cessation. It was, it's really cool to watch, you know, wow. was that, where was it filmed? Is it the one that I saw in New York? City? Anyway, that was done in Binghamton, New York. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, this woman, she was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was just one of those happy accidents where everything worked that night. Yeah. Uh, but because you I, know, the thing is for me was that so interesting is that, you know, having studied with Dave, both of us having done so, we understand about, you know, interrupting patterns and changing, you know, outgrowing the old pattern, growing into the new pattern idea. Um, but most people, when they go to one of these seminars, they think that all that sort of talking and stuff is just talking and stuff. Right. And they don't realize you're doing working. Yeah. Like the entire time you, you're working with yeah, people. And then when you get... When you yeah. get to the hypnosis induction, it's kind of just kind of like icing on the cake. Yeah. But, um, yeah, know. I mean, you're doing a lot of hypnosis before you're doing, a, as Dave would call it, a formal trance. Yeah, or a tuxedo trance. trance right, exactly. Uh, but that particular anchoring thing happened to me. That's why I took it. I When I took uh, NLP training in Philadelphia back in the mid-'80s before um, – I think either before or after Tony, I can't remember. Um, John Grinder was in. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a guy, David somebody, a British with an ascot, uh, a big NLP guy. There was a lot of territory. I don't know all those right, people. Exactly. Ascots. But <laughs> anyway, they asked for a volunteer. They came up 
And this guy was in front of the room and he's talking, you know, good stuff on this side, bad stuff on this side. I'm saying, what the heck's this guy doing? And all of a sudden I'm doing all the changing. And I said, oh, wow, I got to know about, I got to be uh-huh. able to do this. That's where I learned it. And that's also from that seminar. I remember sitting there and John Grinder, founder of NLP or one of the founders, uh-huh. he said something and I went, excuse me? I said, could you repeat that? Because I'm writing this down. <laughs> and he said something that has stuck with me since. And he said, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. And I went, oh, man. Uh-huh. You know? So, yeah. Was that now that phrase I've heard, like, it seems like since I was a kid, is that the first time you've heard that phrase? That was did the you, first time I heard it. Yeah. Did he originate that? Oh, I have no idea. All I know, is I liked it. I said, could you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Grinder's the only guy in the NLP, you know, universe that I've never met. I've, never, I've listened to a lot of his tapes and shit and, and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sorry. I, I've never, I'll edit that post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure I will. Um, but yeah, I never met the guy. So that's, that's neat that you. Uh, he was, uh, he was uh, very interesting. Uh, you know, there's a dichotomy. I mean, when you look at Bandler, Bandler and Grinder, you know, uh, from what I saw of Bandler, that's where Tony got most of his showmanship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grinder was uh, more of the um, straight ahead. Uh, uh, how would I explain that? He was. Uh, he was just a little more mellow. Mm-hmm. In other words, he wasn't as dynamic as Bandler or right. Tony. Right. That's for sure. Um, I mean, like I said, I've seen a lot of videos of him and tapes. It's funny, though, because Tony always used to talk more about um, being a student of Grinder's. He would uh-huh. cite Grinder all the time. He seemed to, you know, have taken on a lot of Bandler's showmanship, if you will, um, his seminar savvy or something. But um, but he would cite Grinder. So it's interesting. Well, you know, the thing is with Tony, I mean, the, the, to me, the beauty of Tony Robbins is not so much of all that he knows and all that he is, you know, obviously he's a mega success, but, um, the thing is he took something and made it marketable. In other words, he took something that was esoteric, if you will. And he basically took what he needed out of it to be able to market it. And, uh, I mean, he just did a magnificent job of that, you know, taking the, the pieces that would work for the public. I mean, he knew what people would buy into. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was very good like that. Yeah, for sure. It, it, for example, it's like you, like I said, you're really in touch with this community more so than me, but, uh, there are people out there that can talk it. I mean, they can talk it forever. And you'll listen to them and they'll give you this and that and the other thing. And I mean, you'll go, oh, wow, I never knew that. But they can't do it. You know, they they can't do it. That was the thing that attracted me to you. I said, not only can this guy talk it, I said, he can do it. I said, he, you know, he does it, Uh, you know, and that's that's a rarity, you know, because there are a lot of people out there that are just going to you know, blind you with their credentials of, you know, what they know and how this works. And they'll explain it down deep into the weeds. But when it comes to putting it together and making it work, not so much. Yeah. No, I, 
Thank you again. Thank you very much. I appreciate the compliments. And 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 I will say, I I have made that a high value in my life is to be able to you know walk the talk, if you will. Yeah. And it just reminds me, you know, Dave Dobson once told a story about Richard Bandler, that um, maybe you were there, maybe you remember the story that um, you. He had told some stories in a seminar. Dave often was there and would tell stories in seminars and Richard was listening to him tell these stories. And Dave would be telling stories about working in a hospital, working in a burn unit and doing right. stories like that. And then um, then he would attend a Richard Bandler seminar and Richard would tell the same stories as if he had done them. Oh, yeah. He would uh, he would commandeer Dave's experience and Dave gave him shit for it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the way that Dave told the story, at least in my memory, maybe you can corroborate this, is Dave was kind of unhappy, let's just say, (laughs) (laughs) having done this. And Dave has, you know, no trouble showing that. (laughs) No trouble at all. Right. So he went to Richard afterwards and he basically said words to this effect. He said, gosh, darn it, Richard. words to that effect um if you want some experience go get some (laughs) right do you remember that story i do i remember it like it was yesterday yeah so in 1994 i i did i i I volunteered for this it's called the um, department of complementary medicine at columbia presbyterian hospital and i was working for pre-surgical in pre-surgical um hypnosis for heart patients who were going in for heart surgery whether it was um bypass or heart transplant surgery with this young guy named Dr. Oz. Oh yeah. I remember at the time he was a very well-known in the circles. He was a great heart surgeon. He hadn't um, written any books or gotten on any TV shows yet, but he was for office. Yeah. Right. Right. He's running for office. Um, But nevertheless, it was a great experience for me because obviously, you know, it's not, can you talk the talk? It's can you, can you do it? Yeah. Right. in those situations you want to make sure you can actually do it well you know and it's it's a it's funny because the guy i worked for in massachusetts he used to do on in addition to his therapeutic seminars once in a while he would get a call to come in and do some stage hypnosis Uh right and i had never done that the so audience at home probably can't see those air quotes when you said yeah, stage, exactly. yeah. stage hypnosis. Air yeah, quotes. they can hear it, though. I mean, I think <laughs> I can communicate it. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway uh, I went to one of his shows and, you know, being young and brash and everything, I said, I can do that. He uh-huh. says, OK. So he hired me. Uh, he hired me to go to his uh, cousin synagogue to do this stage show. And it was just fabulous. You know, it was just a lot of fun. But, you know, I remember what Dave said. It's sort of like uh, uh, he called stage hypnosis something like using a nuclear bomb to set off a cherry bomb or something. Mm. You know, why why do you need that? And, yeah, it, it became passe rather quickly for me. But, you know, during the course of the seminars, every now and then I would do some of that as a convincer strategy. You know, if people yeah. leaving the seminar, you know, did something really happen here? They were wondering, well, I get somebody on the way out and I tap them on the forehead and go sleep and they go like a rag doll, you know, and, you know, because you know who those folks are. I mean, stage hypnosis is basically paying attention to who's paying attention to you. 
you know, you look out there and you tilt your head to one side and you want see if anybody else is tilting their head. That's the person you invite up on stage. And usually the person, um, as memory serves, um, the person who was afraid of you was the guy, by God, bet you can't hypnotize me. I knew he was afraid of me, <laughs> you know. Uh, and that would be the guy that you would, you know, bounce off walls that weren't there and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was a, that was a fun little thing to learn, but, uh, it's, you know, it's part of the picture and certainly not the whole thing. All right. So John Morgan, you now have a podcast I want to talk to you about in a few minutes, but before I do that, this podcast is called the essential coaching skills podcast, as I suspect you are aware. And, um, not surprisingly, we talk about essential coaching skills here at the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And one of the questions I like to ask people such as yourself, the guests who come on here, is what do you consider to be an essential coaching skill? Like if somebody wants to, you know, be better as a coach or get started as a coach, what's what's like a must-have skill that they need to have in order to be an effective coach? Um. Let me give that a little thought. Um, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is sensory acuity. In other Tell us words, more about that. What, what does sensory acuity mean? That means paying attention to what the person's not only saying, but what they're showing you, you know, going back to other than conscious. Uh, are they really giving you a line of crap or are, you know, and, you know, if you calibrate them for yes or no, like we know how to do, uh, you can find out a little bit about that. But um, the congruity of the person is very important um, to me. And, uh, you know, so an essential coaching skill is being able to, it's hard to put into words. It's sort of like, I own this skill, and I think I got it from my mother, who was a waitress since the time she was 14. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. When I meet somebody, I know within seconds what their problem is. I just, I don't know how I know. I just know. Now, how to address that problem is a whole different skill set, you know, uh, that takes a lot. But... So to answer your question, an essential coach, coaching skill for me would be knowing what their problem is right off the bat. I mean, I okay. just, you know, it, it, uh, I guess you could get to that same thing by asking a few, you know, questions that you would ask, you know, somebody like yourself. Somebody who like this. me who doesn't know, have that <laughs> extra well, sensory yeah, perception. I, I think yeah. everybody has it. Yeah. Do you? I so, so let's talk about it. So, um, I, 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 there's a lot of things in what you've just said for the past 30 seconds that I want to unpack. Like for instance, you know, sensory acuity, congruency, you know, how the other than conscious yes and the other than conscious no. Lots of stuff we could spend like hours talking about right now. But since since we're talking about knowing their problem you know, within seconds, what do you mean by that? How, how specifically do you know their problem? And what do you mean by problem? Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe the problem is the wrong word. Their issue, their uh, what they need help with. Like, give me uh, an example. Uh, all right. So, for example, 
I can spot somebody that's angry at a thousand paces. Okay. All right. They, they may be smiling. I say that's an angry person. All right. It just, I, I don't know. It, it just hits me. I, I get a feeling, I get a sense like that is one angry person. And people say, well, you know, no, he's a good guy. He's, he's a joke teller. He's this. That's no, no, no. That's that guy is very, very angry. Okay. And, you so know, let me just stop you there. So you can, you can other than consciously pick up nonverbal cues from people. That shows you how I did it. I don't know. All I know is, but like I said, that's an interesting skill to have. But, but, but what, what, what else does it encounter? I mean, like you, you can pick up an emotion, you get an emotional state. What about like, if somebody has a, you know, a mother complex, can you figure that out from uh, 30 seconds of meeting somebody or, you know, I don't know that it would go that deep. I just get a, a, blanket overall feeling that of what this person is dealing with or they're afraid they're um overcompensating they're narcissistic they're uh it just is right there i mean it it it's like they can't hide from this part of me that recognizes that i see it now how to address it uh you know that then you have to go into your bag of tricks and see what works and what doesn't you know okay Cool. Makes sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I just want to make sure that it makes sense from uh, everyone, because I've known you a long time, and we studied with a lot of the same people and stuff, so um, worked in the same field for quite a bit of time. So, yes, I it makes sense to me. I just want to make sure that it makes sense to somebody who might not be operating the same wavelength that we are here. And I'm also seeing you, so I also can have that, and people who are, who are listening to this will be just listening. Well, let so, me, let me, let me backtrack a little bit okay good draw on my earlier experience in radio okay yeah so when i was a manager in radio or a program director you get to hire people okay okay and basically what you would hire folks on where they're where they're audition tapes or cds or whatever they morph to mp3s they would send in a sample of their work okay right and so you would pop the cassette in or the CD into the machine and you're, you know, you're looking for a new on-air personality and I would put it in the machine and I would listen for six seconds. I'd say, this person can't work for me. Again, it, it's a skill that I got a long time ago that I don't know how I got by osmosis. I actually think I got it from my mother who was, serving the public since she was a kid. For example, I'll tell you a quick story. Please. I was walking, I was working around the corner from my mother. She worked at this restaurant where she was the uh, manager and it was lunchtime and they were busy and I worked around the corner. So I went over for lunch. So I'm sitting at the bar and having a Coke. I mean, I was a kid and all of a sudden these three guys walked in and my mother says to me, Johnny, you see that guy over there? I said, yeah. She goes, he's bad news. And I said, do you know him? You know, she goes, no, I never saw him before. She said, but he's bad news. I said, how do you know that? You know, she said, I don't know. She says, but that guy's bad news. Three weeks later, this guy was arrested for arson. Huh. That, I don't know how that happens, but she had that gift and I get it too. 
Okay. Do you, do you think it is a extrasensory perception sort of gift? Do you? No, no. I think everybody like it, it's like ESP. I think everybody's got a little bit of that. I mean, we're in tune with the. Uh, you know, other people. I mean, it's the same animating force that's animating you, that's animating me, that's making the grass green in India and China. You know, I mean, there's some kind of commonality in there. Okay. So, you know, it's interesting that many years ago, um, <laughs> gosh, it's weird being old. Like, yeah, it was yesterday. I think it was, no, it was 40 years ago. Um, uh, anyway, so Leslie Cameron Bender, a wife, for a brief time, I think of, of Richard Bender, um, kept the name, had a, uh, a, a seminar, a book, I think maybe it was it eventually became a book um, about a person's internal basic question that every everybody has like a, a basic question that they, that they take into any circumstance. And, and, and it, it is an example, Mother Teresa probably had as her basic question like how can i serve or how can i help and wherever she went whether it's a boardroom in in manhattan or you know an orphanage in biafra you know she'd be walking into this place going how can i be of service how can i serve the lord here or something like that whereas somebody else who's maybe a, a a tycoon and um you know from that boardroom in manhattan might be thinking well how can i profit from this and wherever he goes you know the whether it's a boardroom in Manhattan or an orphanage in Biafra, he's like, how can I profit from this? You know, so they, wherever they go, they have this internal basic question inside of their unconscious mind. And Leslie was saying, you can tell what the person's basic question is by the way they walk. Yeah. 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 No question about that. I mean, there, there's, there's something about patterns uh, that, you know, and th- then you get into your personality typing systems, whether it's Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or something like that, uh, where you can see these commonalities in people. And, you know, that's a it's sort of like Dave said that uh, NLP helped him uh, come up with a language to describe what it was that he was doing. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, when I look at and I'm not a student of the Enneagram or anything like that. I mean, I've seen it, but that gives me a framework as to why I feel this way about somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these people, or in Leslie Cameron Bandler's case, uh, you know, the basic question or whatever. Um, yeah. 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 She also, at least, I don't know if she said it or a friend of mine who took the seminar from her and learned how to do it from her. Um, you know, it's a whole long series of questions that you ask in order to finally get down to that basic question. Um, he said there are a few people that don't have a basic question. They have a statement. And so when that, you know, person walks in, it's it's a statement like, I'm here. You're right. Or something like that. All right. So I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story. Um, yeah, we all know the name Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, you should know him because where you grew up, that's where he was from. Harvey and Corky. Yes. Right. Very few people know they were, they were concert promoters in right. Buffalo in the seventies. That's correct. And I worked in Buffalo in the seventies and he would come into the station and the guy that worked there, my uh, compadre, Don Burns did his commercials at the, oh, big, wow. you know, uh, those, no, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. you know, he would do all their commercials. 
So it was maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, uh, I had occasion to be at Harvey, I'm sorry, yeah, Harvey Weinstein's house. And uh, I won't go into why I was there. Oh, come on. No, no, no. It wasn't for Harvey. <laughs> All right. So I was at Harvey Weinstein's house, and uh, so I got to meet him. And I said, uh, I said, Harvey, I said, you would have no reason to remember. I said, but we've already met. He goes, we have? And I said, yeah. I said, back in Buffalo. Oh, he goes, oh, yeah. He said, you know, Don Burns. Oh, yeah, he used to do my commercials. So, you know, we had that little thing. He went off on his merry way, and I did my work with whomever. And uh, so he came back in after my session. And... uh he started talking about, uh, he knew I was into weight loss. And he says, yeah, you know, my mother never cooked and we, we didn't eat pizza and we never had vegetables and I hate vegetables and this and that. And, uh, you know, I got the agita and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I said, Harvey, I said, you've certainly have enough people at your disposal to address that, you know, some from a nutritionist standpoint. I said, but I said, the biggest thing for you, I said, is that anger that you have? And he turned to the other person. He goes, what'd you tell him? She's, and she said, <laughs> we, didn't even, we didn't even talk about you, right? It was transparent to me that this guy was a, a bundle of anger. I mean, I didn't, it was a sexual predator, but uh, there was something there that, you know, it was just, you know, and that's when I told him, I said that, I said, what you have to get a handle on is that you're just angry. You're not angry because of that son of a bitch. You're angry. You have the feeling of anger within you. I said, notice that feeling of anger. I said, when you notice it and you actually fully feel it, then you can morph it, you know, out of your body. I said, but to ascribe it to somebody else, that just keeps it in place. They're the reason that I'm angry and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that that's a application of this little skill that I got by osmosis. Wow, that's great. That's great. Because, so, you know, a lot of times that's true for people, that they learn things at their knee of the mother or the father or the grandmother or the grandfather. You know, somewhere along the line, you you absorb these these skills, information, whatever, ways of thinking, ways of looking. And sometimes they're great like this and you can apply it and you can find a way of applying it. Sometimes they're not so great <laughs> and you can find ways of applying it and finding a ways of that, making it be useful because anger is a great emotion. There's no such thing as a negative emotion. It's how do you apply it? How do you utilize right. it? How, you know, it's like fire burns down whole neighborhoods in in, right. in Colorado and it's horrible, horrible thing. And it's also what's keeping my house warm right now when it's 10 degrees outside. Right. Exactly. So, so you know, you have to be able to marshal those forces in, you know, for good or for a good purpose. So um, John Morgan, I realize we're running short on time here and I, I feel like I've just started mining the depths of your Experience and wisdom. Could you tell us a little bit about your your podcast that has um, recently? Well, yeah, I mean, different from yours, where you interview people. Uh, maybe eventually I will do that, but uh, you know, to date, 
All I've done is about 15 years ago, I start writing a blog and a, uh, a weekly essay I did called Grasshopper Notes. And if anybody wants to see them, they can go to my website, grasshoppernotes.com. And, uh, you know, what happened was I was keeping a journal when I was out doing seminars and we were on the road as often as we were. I was, you know, I'd be on an airplane. All of a sudden, I'd get a thought from out of the blue and I'd write it down in my little journal. So I came home and I'm sitting in my uh, lazy boy chair. And my son walks in and he says, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I said, I'm reading through some of the stuff that I wrote down. I said, the little thoughts that came to me. And he said, like what? I said, well, here's one. I said, how much would you bet on a grasshopper race if their legs were bound by the limitation of your thoughts? And he went deep, right? <laughs> right. So that was that was that. Now it's a week later. I'm in the same easy chair. I'm looking over my notes from the week. I'm home now. And I walk. he walks into the room and he goes, oh, grasshopper notes. Right. And that's so that's what I called it. And then I put out a blog post and a weekly essay. And so the the podcast is basically me recording these writings that I've done for the past 15 years. Uh, just. I get an idea from out of the blue and then I sort of like translate it and try and put it into everyday language that makes sense to people. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've really enjoyed listening to him. Uh, you know, one of the, my favorite things to listen to in the morning is the writer's almanac. Uh, it's a, it used to be on um, P, uh, NPR. Yeah. With, uh, um, Garrison Keeler. Yeah, and you can still get it. I mean, he still does them. They're not on NPR anymore, but they're still out there. So you can go to yeah. com or whatever. But he, he's just, he reads a poem on there. And his way of delivery and the poems and the chooses, chooses and stuff is just, it's a great way to start the day. And similarly, you know, the wonderful, beautiful radio voice that you have, the, the, the tonality that you use and the wisdom that come through these relatively short i mean your average podcast is what 10 minutes maybe oh no in my case it's uh two and a half minutes oh, okay like I, the the back to earlier in our conversation i don't listen to a lot of podcasts but right. people do and one of the things that i heard somebody say was you know if they were shorter i i would probably listen to them and uh so I've come up with this phrase, mini podcast. So that's, mini you know, mini, right? Or uh, I would have called it a pocket podcast, but that would have been a little too far out there. But mini, everybody seems to know what that is. In other words, it suggests to them, hey, I can take a little bit of time and I can listen to this. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't have to invest, you know, 45 minutes, an hour or whatever it is. Are you looking at me? Are you looking at me? Are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got to go. We're out of time here. Oh, God. <laughs> this has been fun. God, I uh, it's always great talking to you. I mean, I learn something every time I talk with you. Oh, same, same. And I, I really wanted, I wanted to hear a little bit more about your havening stuff, but we can do that at another time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, if you wouldn't mind being on again, I'd love to. Oh, yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, we'll have you back, John Morgan. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, your once again, your website is grasshoppernotes.com. Um, yeah, and the uh, the podcast is Grasshopper Notes Podcast. 
And wherever you get your favorite podcasts, they're there. And I have a YouTube channel, too. It's called Inside Out, uh, meaning that, you know, all change happens on the inside before it manifests outside. And on there are a lot of of things that I've done over the years. uh, You know, it's all free. Uh, you know, whether it's my stop smoking seminar or weight loss seminar or. You got uh, the whole seminar up there? Uh, all of it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, it's all free. I mean, you know, nice. we closed the business. I said, well, this stuff, people can still use it. I mean, it's timeless. So I put it out there and uh, if anybody's interested, they can go find it. It's out there on the Internet. Outside, no, inside out. No, it's called. um what is it called? Uh, hang on. <laughs> like I said, it's not getting old. We'll put it on pause. Uh, yeah, it, it, inside out. Uh, no. What, is that the name of it? I don't know. <laughs> First I've heard. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, just search John Morgan and uh, he'll find it. Cool. Is there a johnmorgan.com? Is there a John Morgan website? No, no. We, we closed all that off. I mean, it's all under grasshoppernotes.com. And uh, by the way, anybody, I wrote a book, as you're aware. And actually, I wrote a couple of them. Uh, and they're, it's free. Uh, the book I wrote called Interruption, The Magic Key to Lasting Change, has a lot of the stuff that we talked about here, yeah. Dave Dobson, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's at grasshoppernotes.com. You can download a PDF. It's free. Wow, that's a great book. Fantastic. Thank you, John Morgan. Thank you, Dougie. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.